Let me invite you this time now to take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to Acts chapter 15. We are installing officers, as I said, uh, at the beginning of our service. And um, one of the places that we look to uh, in terms of knowing how the church ought to be run, how the church ought to be governed, is Acts chapter 15. And so that's our consideration this morning. I'm going to read uh, the whole chapter. You'll, you'll recognize this. It's titled the Jerusalem Council. And uh, one of those very important sort of watershed moments in the life of the church. We'll talk about that in just a second. But let's give our attention now to worshiping the Lord through the reading of His Word, which is holy, it is infallible, it is inerrant, in everything that it says to us. Let's hear now the word of the Lord. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written, after this I will return And I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. But should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. 
For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, They rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. Please pray with me. Father, we ask that you take now these words and the explanation of them and strengthen your church. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Many of you know uh, that I, like many of you, did not grow up Presbyterian. Um, So the process for me to come into the Presbyterian church, the Presbyterian denomination, um, it took, there, there are lots of things that I can look back on in my life and, and point to and say, okay, this, this was part of that process, this was part of that process, um, the Lord moving me. And so as we're installing elders this morning, I want to, to take the opportunity to remind you or to teach you, as it were, perhaps, um, what it means to be a Presbyterian really in the, in the, in the brass tacks of it. Some people hear the word Presbyterian, and they automatically think, well, you're a liberal. And they assume that you check certain boxes, and so we have to spend five or so minutes explaining we're not that type of Presbyterian. Um, What distinguishes a Presbyterian from others you might think as well, it's the sovereignty of God. And we believe very strongly in God's sovereignty and, and salvation, but actually that's not it. Um, the sovereignty of God and salvation has been affirmed throughout history by most of the church. 
um, you might think it's baptizing babies or infants or households, as I prefer to say. Um, That's not it either. Um, What distinguishes Presbyterianism is the way that we believe the church ought to be run. Um, In other words, we believe that Jesus Christ cares so much about the church that He purchased with His own blood that He has prescribed the way it ought to be run. In other words, He hasn't left it up to us to figure it out. And that we ought to look to Scripture for the model as to how Jesus now runs His church that He bought. And one of the main places that we look to understand this is Acts chapter 15. So, let me just say this. Um, The questions we want to answer this morning or consider are why elders are important to a functioning church. Why are elders important to a functioning church? A healthy church. Also, here's another question that we are going to consider this morning. Why is membership in the church, necessary. Um, Both of those things have been very much disregarded in our day. So, first of all, Acts chapter 15, this is not my first point, let me don't mess up your notes. Acts chapter 15, this is not a primary sermon on Acts 15. This is what I like to call a secondary sermon on Acts chapter 15. The main thing that we learn from Acts chapter 15 is this, that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And we ought not um, yield to any man-made institutions any longer. Okay, the old covenant law has, has gone away, at least in its sacrifices and its ceremonies, has gone away in Christ. That's the main message of Acts chapter 51. Old Testament ritual is no longer an aspect of the worship of God. That's actually a very important point in our day. Many, many uh, Christians are going back and trying to recover some of these ceremonies and rituals. Um, You ought to read Hebrews 6. It's also, though, important, this chapter, to understanding how the church is governed. Why is it important? Why is it important to understand how the church is governed? All, 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 many of you are going back and you're thinking, uh, if you had a civics class, I don't think they teach that anymore at school. If you had a civics class, I had government and economics in school. Uh, many of you are going back and you're saying, I hated that class. <laughs> um, it was really boring. Um, I hope that you'll come away from this sermon understanding why this topic is important. It it does make a difference if you are Baptist or Presbyterian. I've had a lot of people say to me, it doesn't matter. And and we'll say, right, that's that's true, okay? You can go to a Baptist church and many Methodist churches and Presbyterian churches, many Presbyterian churches, and you will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached there faithfully. You'll have the opportunity to come to faith. You can be saved and you can serve Christ Faithfully. Um, but but we, we, we haven't established a Presbyterian denomination just because we wanted another one. We are Presbyterian, many of us, because we believe in our very heart and soul that Presbyterianism is the way through which Christ governs His church. 
We gave it the name, perhaps, but he established the government. Presbyterian, that word, that big long word, um, comes from a Greek term. It occurs in Scripture. We find the term in Scripture called it's presbyter. We didn't make it up, okay? And so Presbyterian, we derive from that name. And so what I would have you to understand is that this is not just a practical concern. Many, some look and say, okay, we have, we have not just one, one elder, not just one pastor who calls all the shots. He manages the money and the marketing and the message of the church is all concentrated in one uh, little pope. It's actually spread out between elders. I, I love the picture of... Um, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, you know why Arthur had a round table. Because there was no head and there was no foot. And every man who sat around that table was on equal standing. And that's the way Christ has established the eldership. My calling to be a minister is no different than any other elder who serves in this church. And so there's a practical concern, right? You say, okay, well, it's better for many men, it's better for many men to sit on a board and to, to govern, to have many minds than one monarchy. So it's, it's important from a practical concern. But again, that's, that's not the main thing. Sure, there's practical wisdom. But the main thing is this, that we will see from Acts chapter 15 that the church of Jesus Christ is governed by Christ through elders that he himself has called as they declare and apply his word. All of that's important. The church of Jesus Christ is governed by Christ through elders that he calls as they understand, as they declare and apply his word. So I'm going to give you three quick points regarding this. We're going to look at the council's crisis, the council's consideration, and the council's conclusion. First of all, then, the council's crisis. We read here at the beginning of Acts chapter 15 that some men were stirring up the church. There were people who were, they were causing anxiety within the church. You can think of this because some... Thousands of people now have been joined, droves of people have been drawn into the church and they've come by faith, they've been included in the church, they're included in all the practice of the church and all of a sudden these men who seem like they have authority are telling these Gentile believers, you're not a part of the church until you're circumcised. You have to do that or you don't belong to Jesus Christ. And so there's, there's confusion there's a theological disputation that comes up. This is why this, this Jerusalem council is formed. <clears throat> what I want you to notice is how this council is made up. Notice with me in verse 2. <clears throat> and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas... And some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem 
to the apostles and the elders about this question. So just from a practical perspective, notice what's happening. A disputation arises in the church of Jesus Christ, and they settle this disputation by forming a council. It's not just one church that gets together amongst itself and says, here's how we're going to respond. But what happens is all of the churches gather, and the local church in Antioch elected two men, Paul and Barnabas, to go up and to represent them at this gathering of the churches. Some of this is starting to sort of make sense to you, isn't it? We do this, don't we? On a three times a year, New Covenant Presbyterian Church gathers with other Presbyterian churches in something called a presbytery. We are continuing, as it were, the practice of the apostles and the elders together. Paul, here with Barnabas, were serving the churches in Antioch, more than one, and they gathered with the apostles and elders. There's an assembly of men, or a convocation, or a synod, as it might be. So we do this. This is a practice that we haven't just made up, again, because it's practical, because we like to exercise power and include as many other men in it as we possibly can. We are actually carrying on the model that the apostles themselves established. Listen, God does not intend for new covenant or any other church to exist on an island. Scripture does not recognize anything like an independent anything church. First of all, the church is a global institution that is being grown around the world by the Holy Spirit. We are one expression that God has placed in Summit, Mississippi, of a global church. We aren't organized this way because it seems good or practical, but because it is biblical. Secondly, we look together at the council's consideration. Notice what's going on here. We skip down now to verse 7. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe that by his mouth and the gospel that the Gentiles themselves should believe. Now, they began with the testimony of an apostle, one who had been called by Christ to serve in the church, to serve as the foundation of the church itself. So they begin with the testimony of the apostle because that office then still existed. It doesn't anymore. But notice, I want you to notice something very very critical here. That even though... Peter, as an apostle, gives testimony. Notice that what this council does in verses 15 to 17. Not even Peter's words are sufficient by themselves. They compared what Peter said to Scripture. Verses 15 to 17. 
James stood up, the half-brother of Christ. He said, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. So the, the, the procedure here for this apostolic council was to take his testimony, but ultimately what they did is they compared this testimony to Scripture. Now I want you to think of something. Presbyterianism is a representative form of government. Every church represent or elects men to represent them. Do you see this reflected in society? Well, in American society, you do, because we uh, every so often elect men to represent us in Congress. Now, whether they do a good job or not is questionable, but they do it nonetheless. They are vocalizing our opinion. They go to Washington to tell Washington and that convocation of people what we think as Mississippians, South Mississippians, think ought to be done, because we have the best and brightest here. They gather and they make laws. And they expect you and me to obey those laws. And so does the Bible. But here is a critical difference. Listen. Your elders, the elders of the church of Jesus Christ, have no power to make laws. All an elder may do is tell you what the law is. You see, elders are not your representatives to Christ. They are Christ's representatives to you. And he has appointed them not to bind your conscience, not to make up new laws, not to tell you new and innovative things that you are to do. They may not do it. It is sinful for them to do it. All they may do is declare to you what the law is. We're not innovators. So this is why Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, they can't be a new convert. Well, why? Well, a new convert, somebody who's new to Christianity, who's just been born again, who's growing in the faith, he's not able to declare to you what the law is. Imagine taking a preschooler and setting him on the Supreme Court bench. I watched a video one time of a lady trying to drill a hole in her wall. And she had the she was holding the drill with her hand and she had it positioned in the wall where she wanted to make the hole. And in her other hand, she had a hammer driving the drill into the wall. A new convert, a recent convert, won't understand how to apply the intricacies of God's law to the people, how to declare it. Because that's all these men are intended by Christ to do. There are points in Life, brothers, who are called to this office, remember, as ones who must declare God's law, you are to declare His will to those who are sheep within this fold, that there are others depending on your godliness. You know, as a member of the church, as non-officers, your God, you alone generally are depending on your own godliness. 
as an officer of the church, there's a transformation. And that others now are depending on your godliness, on your following after Christ, on your faithfulness to Him. Not only are you depending on knowing Christ and His will, but all the flock of God here in New Covenant, in our presbytery, in our denomination, are depending on you knowing the Word of God and faithfully applying it in their marriages in fatherhood. Lastly, we note the council's conclusion. So these men are called by God to serve as a plurality because He has appointed them. Their work is to go to the Word, is to labor in the Word, is to know the Word and simply to declare it to you. And lastly, we note, thirdly, the council's conclusion, verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers. What happens here is they... They reached a conclusion on this theological issue. And you would think, okay, a church is considering a theological issue and they make a decision and that, that particular decision might apply to New Covenant. We're going to decide for ourselves what we believe about this particular issue. And the application of that decision only extends to us because the church is just us. But what do we see happening in Acts chapter 15? They wrote a letter. And who got copies of the letter? Go on to verse 23. They sent them with the following letter, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, all the churches in Antioch, all the churches in Syria, and all the churches in Cilicia, and then all the church broadly. They made a decision about this theological issue based on what the Scriptures said and they circulated it to all the churches who were intended to observe that council's decision. You see, there's the government of the church. There is Christ leading His church, governing His church through appointed men from all the churches gathered in an assembly to declare the will of God to all the churches. It was authoritative decisions then of presbytery and of general assembly are binding based on the model of scripture however they can never ever bind us to sin Thus, you owe obedience from Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 to your elders therefore Brothers and sisters, choose godly ones. God has called these men to serve, following the master servant, Christ Himself. God Himself has placed these men over you to guide you in doing His will. Now, this is why membership is important, isn't it? Just a note of application. In Hebrews chapter 13, the writer of that letter says, submit to those who are in governance over you. Well, how do you know who those people are if you're not a member of a local church? 
Who are you going to submit to? Every man? No. It is Christ's intention for you to join yourself to a local expression of the church of Jesus Christ so that you may be governed through the men he has appointed. I once had a friend, as I said Wednesday night, I know that's hard to believe, but I did once have a friend whom I would debate frequently about politics. And during the Bill Clinton era, he repeatedly said to me, a president's character doesn't matter. Who cares if he tells me the truth or not, right? (laughs) Character matters. And one of the ways that the church itself exercises its power is to choose godly men. We are looking for men, not who fit our qualifications, but men whom Christ has called to affirm that calling. So brothers and sisters, the church of Jesus Christ is governed by Him. It's governed through elders that He has called as they declare and apply His Word. Jesus exercises His authority over you through elders and deacons. And it is for this reason that you must exercise biblical discernment in the selection of elders. It is for this reason that you must take church membership so importantly. He intends for you to submit to the men whom he has called. Not to join a church, therefore, is to neglect Christ's appointed authority and government. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word. And we thank you so much for giving us government. We thank you that you've not left us just to figure it out, to spitball it, to duct tape it together. But in fact, you have given us the form of government we are to follow. Help us to be faithful in the application of it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.